Okay, it is live. It says. It We're okay. going to go with it. Yod, arms, closed, hand, associated with the word, hand, work, throw, and worship. Your hands made me, informed me, give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your may your unland, un, okay, may your unfailing love um, be my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Good, good stuff. May the arrogant be put to shame for wrongdoing me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes, may my heart be blameless towards your decrees, that I may not be put to shame. Good stuff. Okay, let's see here. What do we have? We've got, uh, oh, you're just in time there, Chief. Good job. Um, let's see here. We've got, um, all I have is, uh, I, I don't know if it's so much a prayer request as just, a, well, it is, but it's for the individual, uh, Ivana in the Czechoslovakia, is that right? Croatia. Croatia, that's right. Um, Ivana's mother died, and I didn't know that, but Jim came in and told me that. So um, we want to just keep Ivana and the, the family in prayer, and uh, uh, tough, tough situation there. Um, let's see here, we have... Um, might as well read this day in church history. Today is January. We're back to the beginning of the year, and it's January 5th, which means it's my uncle's birthday tomorrow and my friend's birthday the next day, and uh, actually two of my friends the next day, so January babies. Okay, let's see here. Some fathers deal with their sons eyeball to eyeball, others nose to nose. My father dealt with me knee to knee. John Ashcroft had just moved from the governor's mansion in the Jefferson City, Missouri, to Washington, D.C. to become a United States senator. The night before I was sworn into the Senate in 1995, my father arranged for some close friends and family, maybe 15 to 20 people, to gather for dinner. My father eyed a piano in the corner of the room and said, John, why don't you play the piano and we'll sing? Okay, Dad, you name it, I'll play it. Let's sing We Are Standing on Holy Ground. It was one of his father's favorites, but he was not engaging in some sentimental ploy by suggesting it. He had a <clears throat> profound purpose in his request. The family gathered the next morning at a house not far from the Capitol that was maintained by a group of friends for the express purpose of bringing members of Congress together for spiritual enrichment. At the time, Ashcroft did not realize how weak his father was. He learned later that his father had told an acquaintance of his I'm hanging on by a thread, and it's a thin thread at that, but I'm going to see John sworn into the Senate. As the family visited together, the earnestness of the senior Ashcroft's voice suddenly commanded everyone's attention. Johnny said, please listen carefully. Everyone focused on John's dad. The spirit of Washington is arrogance, he said, and the spirit of Christ is humility. Put on the spirit of Christ. Nothing of lasting value has ever been accomplished in arrogance. Someday I hope that someone will come up to you as you're fulfilling your duties as a senator, tug on your sleeve and say, Senator, your spirit is showing. John knelt in front of, in the front of the sofa where his father was seated and everyone gathered closer. 
When John realized his father was struggling unsuccessfully to lift himself off the couch, John said, Why don't you, uh, Dad, you don't have to struggle to stand and pray over me with these friends. John, his father, answered, I'm not struggling to stand, I'm struggling to kneel. John felt overwhelmed, humbled, and inspired at the same time. John was sworn into the Senate that afternoon, early the next morning on January 5th of 1995. A friend awakened the Ashcross with the news that John's father had died. John, the friend said, there's something you ought to know. This was not a surprise to your dad. Yesterday, your father pulled me aside and said, Dick, I want you to assure me that when John gets to his assigned offices, you will have prayer with him, inviting the presence of God into those rooms. I looked at your father and said, we'll do just that. And as a matter of fact, we'll call you up in Springfield, put you on speakerphone, and you can join us for the consecration. John, the next thing I knew, your father grabbed, grabbed me by the arm and said, you don't understand. I'll be with you, but I won't be in Springfield. He knew what was coming. John, he knew. In 2001, Senator John Ashcroft left the Senate to become the Attorney General of the United States. John Ashcroft is the product of a godly heritage. He would be the first to tell you that much of what he is today is due to his godly father. What heritage are you passing on to your children or to those whom God has placed in your life? Proverbs 20, verse 7, the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children after them. Good stuff. That was very good devotional. Where are you all coming from? We own a little art gallery right here. Oh, I was over there just uh, last year. I remember seeing you there. Oh, yeah, we were over there looking for uh, a thing for that painting there, but I just left it in the one that he has because he said you want to make sure it has um, uh, protection from uh, the sun. And then I checked, and these windows are whatever you call oh, it, yeah. and so I didn't need it. So. Oh, that's a little frame store. Oh, well, they, yeah, we own an art gallery. The other art gallery okay well the other guy at the frame store yeah, he, he he's got right. some tattoos too yeah, so yeah, there you go okay well, i saw the yeah, tattoos okay so you're at the frame store no we're i'm not. sorry the art gallery, art gallery. you said that yeah. yeah okay um right next to the little african store right there i'll have to come over and see yeah. that you know it's funny i've lived here my whole life and i bet i've been to six of the places in here right. I, I don't get out very much what are your names cassidy and roxy cassidy and roxy good deal good to have you here yeah, all right. Um, let's see here. we got to open in prayer. Heavenly Father, how good it is to be in your presence and to share in your goodness. And Lord, we certainly lift up Ivana, who's lost her mother, and uh, we just uh, grieve with her during her time of loss and mourning. And Lord, we thank you for the chance to meet and to share in your wonderful word. What a precious word it is. And uh, help us to handle it carefully. And if anything is said that is incorrect in this class, that you would alert us to it so that we would never have doctrine that was uh, inappropriate and that is not glorifying of you. Lord, we thank you for the chance to come in your presence and oh, how we love you. Please bless our time here. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. We have, um, let's see here. We have, um, hang on a sec. Uh, oh, I wanted to read something before we get into Colossians today. This was just one of those, you know, I got a friend. Her name is Rebecca. She's been here with her daughter, and they went to the projects with us. Oh, yeah. She's from uh, uh, Portland. Uh, is it Portland? I'm sorry, Rebecca, it's not. Anyway, it's in the north northwest, uh, and they're surrounded by, you know. Anyway, um, she uh, she is always going through the Bible looking for patterns, okay? And uh, she sends me her notes, and it's like looking at a, a 
technical manual or something. There's just stuff everywhere. Anyway, she came up with a couple of things that I thought were just really fun. And so I thought I'd share them with you. Um, David appointed singers, okay? And they have written the Psalms. Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, okay? These are singers appointed by David. That's 1 Chronicles uh, 14, 16, and uh, 5, 33 through 44. They line up with the southwest northeast directions around the tabernacle of Numbers 2. Remember that? Numbers 2 and 7, how yeah. it makes a cross? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, Haman, the son of Joel, son of Samuel, the prophet, son of Elkanah, is in the Levite clan of Kohath, located to the south tabernacle, south to the tabernacle. Then Asaph, son of Berechiah, is from the Levite clan of Gershom, located to the west of the tabernacle. Ethan, the son of Cushaiah, is from the Levite clan of Merari, which is located to the north of the tabernacle. And then finally, David, who composed most of the Psalms, uh, would be to the east, the tribe of Judah, the king's tribe. So there you go. I thought that was kind of a, uh, an interesting pattern. And then um, this one is kind of, you have to, you have to know what she's talking about to get it, but it's very interesting. Revelation 4, Jesus' appearance is described as Jasper and Sardis. Okay, uh, the words are uh, Yaspa in um, Hebrew and then uh, Adam or red in, in uh, Hebrew. Okay, in Exodus 28, 39, the first stone listed is Sardis, the Adam's ruby stone, and the last stone is Jasper, which is, uh, okay, so... And that would be he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Very interesting pattern. And then finally, uh, rainbow around the throne is like an emerald. And the emerald represents the tribe of Zebulun, which means glorious dwelling place. So it's, it's all kind of interesting how she finds these little patterns in the Bible. Um, so hats off to her for that. And I just thought I'd share that with you because it's just kind of nifty. Anyway, um, with that said, we are now in the book of Colossians. And uh, hopefully we'll just zip right through it today and be done. But that may not be the case. We're in Colossians 3.16. So uh, if you start wherever you want. I'm going to start in uh, 15, beginning of that paragraph. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Okay, one of my favorite verses. Absolutely wonderful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here says God, this one says Lord. Okay, so um, anyway, that's their translation. And we're going to put that right there. Okay, 316. Just so you guys know, what I, I've typed a commentary on the New Testament, line by line. And so we just used my commentary that I typed, which this is probably eight or ten years old, but we're finally in the book of Colossians, so we use that. That's that's why I'm reading from this. It's just I can't remember everything. I'm very small brain be, up there. But, be talked to. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So that's why I'm reading from a piece of paper. It's just it's it's my commentary that I did over the past whatever, fifteen years or so. Um Paul uses the rare term, the word of Christ. This is the only time that it is seen. Okay, um, one of the things about the Bible is that it speaks of itself quite often. The word of God, the word of Christ. Uh, you know, you go back to Moses' words and he'll talk about the word. And uh, all the way through the Bible, you'll see this. Jesus, when he speaks about scripture, he's talking about the word of God. So 
even in the Bible itself. It is talking about itself, sometimes from somebody's words, sometimes about itself, where the prophet is proclaiming it as if the Lord is saying it. My word is like a hammer, coming from what uh, Jeremiah. So, uh, in this case, the word of Christ, and it is the only time it's seen in the Bible. In this verse, rather than the more common, as we've seen many times, and I just said, word of God, okay? In Philippians 2.16, he calls it the word of life. The word of God is the word of Christ, and the word of Christ is the word of life, okay? Jesus said that in John chapter 5. Uh, he says it in 39, and uh, what's that, Burke? Chapter 1. Uh, chapter Well, that's true. The Word became flesh and the flesh dwell among us. I'm talking about what Jesus said as far as um, it, it speaking of him. Uh, but yes, you're right. Um, but in John chapter, the, in, uh, let's see here, John 3, 4, 5, and I think I want verse 39. I could be wrong. Anyway, we'll find out in about two seconds. Um, uh, yeah, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. And so he's saying, word of Christ. I mean, it is the word of Christ. Okay, and then going down into verse 45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Now remember, when Paul wrote these words, there was no New Testament. He's talking about scripture, and he's saying this is the word of Christ. And that's actually validated by Jesus' own words. And it's validated every Sunday when we get into the typology, and we see that Everything points to Jesus. Everything. Uh, you know, and like I said in a, uh, one of the sermons about a month and a half ago, I think it was Joshua 5, maybe 6, and um, uh, when I, it's been longer than that then, it's probably been a couple months, but I said, you know that this is a true document when you have something that the Jewish people today would never, ever acknowledge. They would never say, yes. That is what this means, and it's as clear as those on your face that is speaking about Jesus. It's speaking about Israel of the future. They're not yet redeemed by the Lord as a nation. And so you see these things, and you can see that the typology tells you that God's hand has been in this since the very, very beginning. We're dealing with something really wonderful, a great treasure, because God is revealing his plans for us and his wonderful plan of redemption hello. for us. Uh, hello, Miss Garrett. Can we help you? Okay, let's see here. Now, grab a seat, relax. I think, I think you took, I think you took her seat, and she's, she's like, she's distressed at you. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, let's see here. We have um, uh, each time the word. Oh, the word of God is the word of Christ, and the word of Christ is the word of life. And as he said right there in John five, do I still have it there? Yes. Um, he said, um, where was that? Thirty nine again. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Okay. And here we have this in uh, uh, Colossians 3.16. It is the word of Christ, which is the word of life. The word of God, um, each time the word is given a descriptor in this manner, it helps us to more rightly understand the immense importance of this marvelous gift that we have been given. It is a word of intimate fellowship with our creator, and it is a word from which life is produced if we are willing to properly apply it to our own lives. What does it say in Romans 10, Burke? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so life is produced through the hearing of the word, if you are willing to apply it to your life and to accept the premise that God has done the things that he claims he has done in this word for the people of the world. 
Um, thus it is the doctrine of Christ which Paul is speaking of. His word is our doctrine. Okay, you can't separate the two. I said that in the commentary I typed this morning for Acts 13, I think it was verse 38, whatever it was. Um, I say basically the same thing, is that you cannot separate what the word is saying from what God intends, because He his intentions are revealed in his word. Paul admonishes those at Colossae, and thus to us, because it's included in the Bible now, to let this marvelous word of Christ dwell in us richly. I just love those words, let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word gives the idea of abundance. As it is an adverb, it means that the word of Christ should dwell in us abundantly. It shouldn't be just a passing part of our lives, but one which overflows from us at all times. As I said, I would hope that if you are willing to pursue the Lord in your life, that you would do it first thing in the morning, every day. Get up and read the word. Think on what you've read, and then throughout the day, ponder it. Meditate on it. And if you have an audio Bible, and you certainly have a car, put the audio Bible in your car and listen. Then you cannot believe how quickly you've gone through the entire Bible. It, it, you're astonished when you say, I just started it. But we spend enough time in our car singing songs to ourselves or whatever that to instead replace it with the Bible, and you're getting nourishment, you're getting uplifted, you're getting God's intentions for us, you're getting what angers him, you're getting what pleases them. All of these things are right there for you to hear if you're willing to just take a look. I drive, you know me, I drive from the house, I drive to the mall every morning. It's a mile and a half, actually 1.6 miles. No, it's one, one and a half because it's to the bridge, it's 1.6 miles. Okay, so it's a mile and a half, and then I drive a mile and a half back. And that's, I do that six days a week. Um, on Thursday, I drive here, and I also do any shopping that I need to do on Thursday. And then I come to church on Sunday. And other than that, the Saturday only other place I go is Saturday. I go to the projects during the week. What's? Yeah, well, that's right next to the project. So that's counted in there. But you think out of all the driving I do, it's not a lot compared to most people. It's very little. And yet I've gone through the Bible in the past year and a half, probably four times. Just it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay. And uh, then... You've done that during the day. You've thought about what you read in the morning, and then you don't want to go to bed without reading the Word because that is going to help you as you get into your dreams to focus on something that is less invasive than what's going on in the world right now. You know, just the terrible things that are happening in our lives and, and uh, you know, just there's chaos. There's, there's all kinds of trouble in this world, and you can focus on what is good. Um, uh, you know, one other person, I'm not going to give the name, I, I should say this though, um, keep uh, some friends that attend online in prayer, uh, I, I don't want to give anything away that I can't give away, uh, but we've got a family that is really struggling with some really detrimental sleep issues, no sleep for a long time, and it's causing great trouble in the family, so just the Lord knows who they are, uh, and until they're willing to have me acknowledge this openly, please keep a family online that is just having terrible sleep issues. Um, it's it's caused other people in the family to also not sleep well. And there's, uh, it, it, I, you know, this is just one of those debilitating things that comes up in life where maybe the wheels are turning too much from work or from family or whatever. But just keep them in prayer. That just came to mind. Um, <clears throat> okay, so it shouldn't be a passing part of our lives, but one which overflows from us at all times. In understanding this, he then adds on a descriptive thought, 
indicating that not only should the word dwell in us richly, but it should be in all wisdom. All right, as we've talked about many times, wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge, okay? You've got uh, the different stages. You can know something, and you can have no wisdom to apply it to your life, and you see that all the time in the world. And then you have wisdom takes knowledge, and it rightly applies it, and it applies it in a way that is beneficial, whether it's for the person, whether it's for the intended goal. Uh, like I said, you know, you have money set aside from your organization. You want to expand the organization. You have the knowledge of how to do that, but you may not have the wisdom to do it rightly, and then you run the company into the ground. But you have wisdom, then you will benefit the organization by, you know, using the money properly. And then from there, you have faith. That would be even higher than knowledge and wisdom, because that is taking what you know, and you are applying it in a way that says, I am willing to step out in this thing. Uh, you know, obviously, if you have the money and you want to expand and you have the knowledge to do it, and you have the wisdom to make it work, it does not mean it's going to work. The faith has to be involved in that, and if you don't take the chance, you will never know if you will succeed or not. Um, I don't know if you remember Rush Limbaugh, but he uh, uh, said one time that uh, everybody thinks this guy's a great success, and he, uh, uh, you know, was from the get-go just this, this great orator and this great radio personality, and he said, I failed dozens of times. I was fired from jobs. And so finally, he just kept having faith that he could make his angle work. And eventually it did. And he's multi, multi, like hundreds of millions of dollars by the time he died. So he was willing to take knowledge, apply it in a wise way, and then to have faith to go forward with that. And that is exactly what we should do with our dealings with God. You can't know God. I'm sorry. If you believe you can then you're deluding yourself. You cannot know God unless you know Jesus Christ. It's impossible. You cannot know Jesus Christ. You are not going to find any way of ever knowing Jesus unless you know this word. It's not going to happen. It's not going to get injected into you with a needle. It's not going to come to you if you put it under your head in osmosis at night. You have to know this word in order to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, then you can know the heart of God. You can know him in the specific way that he intends rather than in the general way that he allows all humans to know him. There's a tree. I can know something about God because there's a tree. There's, you know, two puppies over there playing. I can deduce things about God because of those two puppy playing or squirrels. Watch a squirrel. You know that God has a sense of humor. Okay. You can know all kinds of things about God through how he has revealed himself in his creation. But that's not intimate knowledge, and it's not a knowledge that will bring Sorry. anything to you personally, okay, as far as matters like salvation, matters of love between you and the Creator. You can love Him in a general way, but not in a specific way. So you have this wonderful word. You've got it telling you about God, and that is where the knowledge comes from. And the example that I can give on this is that if you go to seminary, you are going to see professors that know the Bible exceedingly well. And then you're also going to see debates if the professors actually believe in what they, you know, they know the Bible very well. It does not mean that they know the Lord at all. They just know the Bible. And that's a lot of professors in seminaries are like that. But even if they do know the Lord personally and they know the word, they will have debates with atheists. 
why I believe in creation rather than evolution, we'll say. They'll have all kinds of debates with atheists. And I can tell you that the atheists know the word better than most of the professors. They know how to attack the word. They know what it says. They, but they have never taken the wisdom and said, I have this knowledge and now I'm going to apply it in my life. So they know that the Bible says, don't do this thing. We'll say, commit adultery. But they don't have the wisdom to not do that thing. And so their lives are actually a mess, no matter how smart they are and whatever. They have not taken God's knowledge and turned it into the wisdom of God. Okay, and so that's a failing. And, and that happens with professors as well. Many, many professors are in seminary because it's an easy job. In other words, it's it's easy to keep your job. It's easy. You know, there's always a need for for professors. I don't care what the discipline it is. There's always a need for them. Somebody dies, somebody needs to replace them. And there's a billion colleges out there, and most of them have religious studies, and most of them have this and that. So um, uh, they uh, it does not mean that just because they're in a seminary that they have any relationship with the Lord at all. They have not taken the time to apply that knowledge wisely. And then if you don't have that, you will never make the next leap that I said, which is faith. You have now demonstrated faith in the word that is telling us about the Lord, and I accept the premise. Um, uh, Burke, give me the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me paraphrase uh, it. I don't think I can give it to you. That's all right. What, what I received, I want you to know also. All right. That Christ Jesus died, died what? According to the scripture. Died for? Died for our sins, okay. according to Scripture. Was buried, was raised, third day according according to, scripture. to Scripture. That's exactly it, okay? That is all that God asks us to be saved. That's it. He asks us to believe that he sent his son into the world to die for our sins, implying that we are all sinners. Every one of us has done something to offend an infinitely holy God. Every one of us, and we know that, okay? I always ask people when I'm talking about Jesus, I always ask them if they uh, uh, are willing to talk, and we get to the point where I talk about sin, and you know a lot of people kind of get offended, like oh, I'm not a sinner. Well, I said, do you have children? And they say, uh, uh, yeah. I said, did you have to tell them, teach them to do wrong? And they always get that look, and then they say, no, I didn't. We know how to do wrong. It's instilled in us. It's we're, it's in us from the moment we're born. What you have to do is you have to teach your children to do right. And if you don't, then they're going to do wrong their whole life. They will never get out of that. They'll be stealing unless you tell them, don't steal. This is how the world works, okay? And so it's one of the things that we have to process in life is that we are at enmity with our creator. But he was willing to make the first move to say, I'm going to break down this wall. I'm going to make this possible where we can have fellowship once again, remembering that he's infinitely holy and we are infinitely fallen that gap is there. And not only that, but we're going forward in time. We can never go back and undo the gap. And so it exists. And so God made the first move and he sent Christ into the world, just as he had prophesied all the way through here, everything pointing to him, everything. And he came and he did. I'm watching the gospel of John this morning. Um, there's a, a presentation. I listen to the Bible commentary every day. Uh, Daniel does it over in the UK. And then Joey posts it on uh uh, discern the Bible, okay, and so it scrolls through, and then when it's done scrolling through, YouTube picks up something else, and they just start it automatically, and so for the past week, it's picked up the Gospel of John, 
every single day. So I've heard it all week. I've heard the Gospel of John like five times this week, okay? And I just sit there and let it play while I'm doing my other work, okay? So I thought, well, I'm going to go to this site and see what else they have. And they have, it's a site that is filmed in Spain and in, believe it or not, Montreal. So the, the, the video work is done in Canada and then the actual, it, it, you know, it looks like the Mideast, but it's done in Spain. And um, they're very well done uh, gospel presentations. Mark, Luke, John, they've got them all, okay? And uh, other stuff as well. Great, well done, very well choreographed. All the characters look like the biblical figures. And I thought, today I want to listen to Mark. So I clicked on Mark. I got out of John, clicked on Mark. And I got to the part where Christ is being beaten and crucified. And I just thought, I it, every time I see this, and I've seen a thousand movies about the crucifixion, I think the same thing. He did this for me. I can't believe it. And I'm sitting there watching this, you know, and this is this is just an actor. Jesus really went through this. Okay, there's a huge difference between the two. But even the actor, if it's done properly, he's bleeding out of his mouth. He's The thorns are going into his skin and there's blood draining out of there. And he's being hit and the emotion in his face. And you think, he really went through this to pay for what I have done. That is the love of God. And, you know, then people get sarcastic and they say, well, that's cosmic child abuse and stupid things like that. No, that is the only reconciliation that you will ever have to be brought back to fellowship with God. And he did that for us. He united in the womb of a woman. He was born and he lived this life that we can't live. And he did that for us. And then he died and then he was resurrected, proving he had no sin of his own and proving that your sin debt is paid. That is what Jesus Christ did for us. And I, I sit there and I watched that this morning and it was just as if it was the first time I saw it. You know, I, it just brings me to tears when I see this, that he would do this for Charlie Garrett. I can't believe it. Why would he do it? I, I, I can't even imagine. A question arises in these words, though. Is wisdom described by teaching and admonishing, which follow after it, or is it connected to the word teaching? Both are possible. I'll give you the possibilities. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing. Or... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. It is hard to be dogmatic, and the ambiguity may mean that it was intentional. One is wise when they teach and admonish, but one who has the word of Christ in an abundant manner will naturally desire to teach wisdom and to admonish others. Either way, the instruction and admonishment is to be in Psalms, this is Paul's words, in Psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, which we read and open the church every week with the psalm, and then we open the sermon halfway. When we're halfway, we get into the sermon, and we uh, open the sermon with the psalm as well. Psalms are words which come directly from the Word of God, which is the Word of Christ. Okay, we've gone through this altar since uh, we moved into this building at least four or five times, and Jesus. there's 153 of them, so uh, every week we read one. Of the, the only one we skip is 119. 119, because we read it every week anyway. We read one octave of 119 every week, so there's no point in going through 176 verses on Sunday morning, but um, yeah, that's what we do, and uh, when we get to the end, if you read 150 to open us, I read Psalm 1 for the sermon. Uh, we just start again. 
And that's what I do with the Bible. You know, as a matter of fact, when uh, just recently I uh, got through uh, the Bible again in the car, and I was so excited to get back into Genesis that I hit the button, I pulled that out, and I've got the CD thing full of, or whatever, yeah, CD. Uh, there's like a thing, in, and I've got it marked, so I know where the first one is, and I slip it in there, and I pull. I'm I'm trying to get the Bible back going as quickly as I can. While you're driving? While I'm driving, oh my yes. God. So I, I will be driving with my knee. I'll be driving with my knee while I'm doing this because I don't want to miss a word. I get so excited. We just finished the end, and now I want to get back, and I want to start again. And I do the same thing with, you know, when you get done with uh, the Bible. Every morning I read at least three chapters. That's the minimum, okay? And if they're long, then I'll leave three, like I'm reading in Jeremiah right now. And they're longer chapters, so I'll read three. And, this isn't uh, while you're driving. No, this is in the morning. <laughs> and so if I read the first two, or Revelation 21 and 22, the first thing I do is go back and read Genesis 1. I just want to start again. I want my three chapters, and I'm just going to go back and do it. And I've been doing that for year after year. And so uh, what was my point about? Oh, yes, um, uh, the Psalms. We start in the Psalms. We start again in the Psalms, okay? Um, Psalms are, I'll read it uh, uh, again. Let's see here. Um, uh, where was oh, Psalms are the words which come directly from the Word of God, which is the Word of Christ. They have been accumulated and are included in the Old Testament. As Paul cites them as profitable for instruction, then they are a useful tool for all of God's people at all times and are not to be ignored in our daily life. Now, if you go to the book of Acts, okay, and you will see in chapter 13 of the book of Acts that Paul says in the what psalm? He says it explicitly in the second psalm. It was already identified, the order of the Psalms, at the time of Paul. And we know that because he says it right there. That's 2,000 years ago, and we know that there was a second Psalm. Okay, so the Psalter was already codified. It was already canonized by the people of Israel. Okay, and if you read the Psalms, and then you read a book like Job, they're, they're saying basically the same thing. Many Psalms will have this verse, and then Job will repeat it here. And so what he's doing is he's taking the concept from the Psalms about Christ being crucified or about him being raised or whatever, and he repeats that in the book of Jonah. Not the same words, but he's using the same concepts. And when we went through the book of Jonah, you would remember that. If you don't, then go back and watch the book of Jonah's sermons. It'll take you no time at all, and it, I think there's like 10 of them. And uh, it's, it's marvelous how everything is kind of repeating itself. And even when you get into the New Testament, the New Testament is constantly citing the Psalms. That's right, especially Psalm 110. It, re it does it again and again, you know. So um, it, it, they are... Uh, integral part of scripture it's not just something who was it it was you today saying you know you feel like singing well sing them who cares as long as that's how you feel about reading them just read them okay they're they're there for us to understand the here let's go to one right now we'll go to psalm 22 just go there i mean it's just marvelous psalm 22 you tell me what it's speaking of i mean if you can't can't get it let me know but i think you can my god my god why have you forsaken me who says that in the new testament christ right on the cross why are you so from so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning oh my god i cry in the daytime but you do not hear and in the night season and am not silent and he goes down there through we'll go down to verse six now but i am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised by the people the word worm there 
We did that uh, in a couple of the Exodus sermons, is the word tol uh, uh, tola, okay? It is a crimson grub worm. When it dies, it bleeds out this crimson color that they make garments out of, okay? And that is where the, the uh, eggs get their nutrients from. And it's a picture of Christ on the cross. It's us being born into Christ, okay? Anyway, um, so a reproach of men and despised by people. All those who see me ridicule me. It's him on the cross. They shoot out the lips saying, uh, he trusted in the Lord, which is exactly what they said at the crucifixion. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. He goes on down here. Verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. It's the people around the cross mocking him. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. I thirst, he said there on the cross. Hey, you have brought me to the dust of death. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look at me and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots exactly what John says they did at the cross. All of it's pointing to Christ. All of it. I won't go on, but you get the, the picture. Just go and read the Psalms, and you're going to find Jesus on every page. All right? They're there to help us understand the depth of the emotion of the human experience as it's conveyed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. All right? So, Psalms. A useful tool. Hymns. Hymns would be songs which include scripture in them, teaching theological truths about God. We got hymns right here in the red books all over the place, okay? If you have a decent hymn, it will teach theological truths about God. One of my favorite of all of the hymns is Morning is Broken. And yes, Cat Stevens sang it, but it came right out of the hymnal. Somebody wrote it eons ago, and he used it, and it, he does the most beautiful version of it at all. And so I don't care if it's Cat Stevens and he converted Islam or... It doesn't make any difference to me. It's a wonderful song, and it's right there written by a person. If you read the words from it, it's all about the garden. It's about the life, the word, everything. It's just so beautiful. Those are hymns. Hymns are about him. What? Hymns are about him. Hymns are about him. That's a, a very well done, Burke. You get a, let me give you a piece of candy. Right over there, you go get yourself a piece of candy. Okay. What's that? How great, great thou art. Absolutely. It's marvelous. And that's what they're there for. They're to edify us. They're to spiritually build us up and to teach us theological lessons. That's what a hymn is for. Yes, Bert. Uh, the hymns, Fanny uh, Crosby, she wrote hundreds of Oh, yes. Hymns. Then the next one is going to be spiritual songs. And I think of the Gaithers. We're not there yet, guys. He's, getting, he's preempting us. I, <laughs> I know he loves the Gaithers. When he sends a commentary out, He's got something usually from the Gaithers attached to it. No, great stuff. I, I'm just picking on you, Burke. It's all right. Yeah, no, he's right. So hymns would be songs which include spirits, scripture in them, teaching theological truths about God. They are intended to lead us to a firm foundation in knowing and understanding his wonderful works. How great thou art, right? That's exactly what they are intended for. That is what a hymn is intended for. And then Burke, he just mentioned it. Spiritual songs would then be songs which are written about a relationship with God, but not necessarily relying on scripture, like the Gaithers. Like, there's a million people that write hymns. Who wrote the most 
hymns, I think the most prolific hymn writer of all was Charles Wesley. That's correct. Not John, Charles Wesley, the brother. Um, anyway, he wrote gobs of them. What did, what did he say about Isaac Watts's song, The Wonderful Cross? He said, I would trade every hymn I've ever written for that. What a beautiful song. I hear it and I always break down in tears, so I can't go listening to it in front of other people. It's marvelous. Oh, it's marvelous. Anyway, so spiritual songs are a little different than hymns. Okay, the relationship with God, but not necessarily relying on scripture. They direct hearts and minds to God based on the emotion of the composer's personal feelings about his relationship with his creator. Okay, I uh, told Burke, you probably don't know it. I, you know, I put a, at least one and sometimes several poems into every sermon. Okay, and uh, does other, don't say a word, Burke, does anybody know where I got that idea from? I was reading a sermon years ago by Charles, I'm sorry, um, uh, Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he had some poetry in one of his, that he just, and I said, what a beautiful thing to do, because it redirects our mind away from the contents of the sermon, which can be tedious, it can be uh, in-depth, it can be whatever it is. The sermon has one type of uh, purpose, but if you stop and you have a poem or a song which is written into the sermon, what a way to redirect temporarily. And I don't know, does anybody get anything out of those when I do them? You do, okay. Because I just do them because I get something out of doing that. Rhyming is very interesting. Yeah, time. sometimes it's a little interesting, yeah. A bit of a stretch. I, well, I remember one time uh, uh, we were in the book of Exodus. It was talking about the poplar trees, and I couldn't think of anything, and so I, I said the poplar, and then I got down the next line, and I said, and over the toppler. And my dad, he just was like, oh. hey, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, because I couldn't find anything that ran, rhymed with poplar, well, except toppler. But do you, you review what I review what you read the word and then you break it apart and, and then, then you, you re-explain again in poetry. Uh, well, so that's we right. have a much greater chance of absorbing what you're saying because you've given us three different modalities in which to learn. It. Okay. Well, there you go. This and the, the yeah, well, we're going to tell you, we're going to tell you, we're going to tell you, we're going to tell you what we told you. What we told you. And <laughs> the way I do that actually is because I always type the introduction last. So I've typed the sermon, then I type the ending, obviously, and then I can take the the introduction and say, because after 10 and a half or 12 hours of typing a sermon on Monday, I'm just dead. And so I, I have to go back and I just say what I said at the ending at the beginning. And that's why that works out that way. It, it's not intentional. It's just how it works out. So, But I'm glad to hear poetry that. When he gets tired at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. No, she's always at work. She's, I've never seen, you know what? Years ago, I told her, I want you to retire. And she said, I don't want to retire. Okay, so then finally, I talked her into going four days a week. Do you know she's gone more in four days a week than most people are gone five days a week? I, she's just tireless. She doesn't want to be with you. Well, that, that could be it. That could be it. Okay, we got to go on. All right. Okay, here we go. Ouch. It's probably true, though. Yeah. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. Okay, Paul instructs his readers, and we just did the thing about spiritual songs. Paul instructs his readers that they are to engage in these things while singing, this is Paul's words, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
Okay, last week I didn't show you. This is a new one. Somebody, um, Lisa White sent this to me from Australia for Christmas, okay? It says, believe the gospel, in the gospel, and it gets the various gospel verses, okay? Um, last week, and I meant to move my beard and show you, uh, it said, um, uh, grace is like bacon. bacon. It just makes everything better. So there you go. Okay, that, that's it. Grace is like bacon. It just makes it. So Paul is saying to uh, sing with that was for my friend Arlene. She's up in Chattanooga, and she always fun, finds the funnest things, you know. And she never fails to send us something for the dogs. If she sends us something, she sends something for the puppies, and you know, little bacon treats or something. It's marvelous. Okay. Anyway, um, Paul instructs his readers that they are to engage in these things while singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The Greek has an article before grace. Sometimes the Greek, it's not necessary to always translate an article. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, depending on the context. Like it says, the God, quite often. Uh, you don't need to put it because it's speaking of the one and only God. And in English, it would make no sense. So, But in this case, it literally says in the grace, and it should be rendered. Okay, um, it, uh, Let me read it again. Singing with the grace in your hearts. Because of this, it is limited to the grace of God. As believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, this is what Paul is referring to, we are to rely on the Spirit and together with him sing in our hearts to the Lord. Based on the construction of the Greek, it therefore correctly reads, in the grace, singing in your hearts to the Lord. We are to actively live in the grace of God and we are to express that state with singing in our hearts to the Lord because of it. Wonderful. That's what we should be doing. And you're not going to do that if your mind is focused on other things. And as I said, get up in the Bible, get the get up in the morning and get in the Bible. Read it, read whatever you can. You know, Billy Graham said one time they have a, a habit of reading five Psalms every day. And that's wonderful. But I hope that they also read the rest of the Bible too. I hope that was in addition to their Bible reading because there's more than the Psalms and you need to know the historical, you need to know the typological, you need to know the uh, moral lessons that can be derived from even, you know, the building of the tabernacle. When we went through those sermons, um, there's moral lessons in there as well as the, uh, you know, the historical details and the pictures of Christ. It's all one thing. And if you're only reading the Psalms, you're limiting yourself. I have a friend that, um, uh, I grew up with her, and uh, she says, I won't listen to any Old Testament sermons. She says, I, all I want is the New Testament. And I thought, what a tragedy. I don't even know how you could understand the book of Hebrews without understanding the Old Testament, the Levitical sacrificial system. I, I don't know how you could do it. You can read it, and you can get an idea of what's being said, but you can't appreciate the, the, the depth of what God has put in Leviticus. And as you know, Paul says that this was to show us our desperate need for Christ. You've got these sacrifices that are endless, and there's just like blood running down the streets of the sacrificial lambs and the goats. And, you know, if you've committed this infraction, you need to bring this, and you got to lay your hands on it and sacrifice it, and all of those things that we went through. It took us, what, two, two, two and a half years or something oh, wow. to get through Leviticus. Every single detail, every detail points to Jesus. Cut off this part of the fatty lobe of the liver and that gets burned on the altar. Why? Unless you know that it points to Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. Well, God doesn't have a nose. Why does he need that? Because he's showing us the fragrance of Christ 
in that part of that liver that God designed in that animal for that purpose. Okay? Everything fits when you know the word. Everything helps in your walk with the Lord throughout the day. Everything. So get into the word and read the word and think on the word and listen to the word and just love this precious word that he's given us. Yes, Burke. The first two words of the verse. Let us. Let us. We have a choice of there. That's right. And that's one of the, you you have a certain term you use about verses like that. You call them the lettuce verses. Yeah, you make a salad out of them. Lettuce. Okay. Absolutely. We have a choice. And if we're not doing it, you know, this isn't a command. This is just an admonition. Paul is saying, let us do these things. Do this. Do that. And he's not like trying to beat it over your head. He's trying to say, this is what's best. He created us. He knows how the sun rises at a certain time every day. He knows the pitch of the sun when it's in the wintertime like it is now. I go out on the dock in the morning, or I don't even have to now since Sergio put in the, the live cam, but the sun is all the way down almost to the south. It's way down there. Now it's starting to move forward a little bit every day because the winter solstice is over. But in the summer, it's literally over here. There's this one giant tree and it comes up over that at the end of the summer. So you've got this giant span. God knows what we need for the seasons and for the rain to come, for you know it to be warmer up north at this time, to get cooler up north at this time. He knows the way that the winds should be. We have what's called a Bermuda high. Remember, Roy Leap used to talk about that quite often. That is where the high would be out over the area of Bermuda. And we get these wonderful east breezes. And we're going to start getting them, mark my words, Coming up in another, what what is it now? It's uh, the 8th of January. In another 22 days or so, when February comes, we're going to get an east wind all day, every day. And the trees know when to drop their oak leaves because of it. They know when to let out their pollen because of it. And this happens every year. Everything is planned by the wisdom of God. And if he knows those things, and he knows how the stars are supposed to move, and how this is supposed, this is yours, by the way, how this is supposed to drop, right at the right speed rain is a certain size so that when it comes down it doesn't destroy the tender plants the flowers everything is designed by god if he knows those things and he also created us and he knows what's best for us he knows exactly what is best for us and so when paul says let us do these things it's not because he wants to be a control freak over you it's because he knows that this is what is going to make your life right and you're going to be grounded you're going to be established you're going to be fine in life with that okay i i don't know how to say it to people enough is that get into the word of god understand the grace of god which is found in christ because that is where our hope lies man if you're hoping in this world there's not a lot of hope i gotta tell you what and it's getting worse by the day it's just not a place where there's happiness and joy in many parts of the world and it's coming all over this country now as well there's difficult times there's people the, the number of drug deaths has skyrocketed in the past couple of years literally skyrocketed it's coming over the border every single day when i'm doing the articles for the cg report every day i bet you i read about four drug busts where they say they found uh 16,000 fentanyl pills enough to kill the entire state of california and i read this every day four or five articles Every single day like this. This is not a hope-filled world. But Jesus has given us, he has given us hope. And I can't wait to see his face. I can't wait for that day. 
you know, if I kick the bucket on the way home today, please don't feel bad for me. Have a party because I'm going to be seeing Jesus. That's what makes me happy. I'm not going to, you know, go rushing off and putting my truck in the side of a building or something. But, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. You know, don't, don't feel bad. You know, I got first time it's happened since I uh, had the bee stings and I, I had to go to the hospital as I got bit by some red ants today. Man, they've been gone for like five years. Right. We, we had them terrible and now they've been gone. This morning I got bit by two and man, I was sick. So she knows I got the old EpiPen right here and I told her in case I don't wake up, I had to go lay down for a while. I said, if I don't wake up, just get the pen. And if that doesn't work, I told her where a couple things are that she's not aware of. So that'll keep her secure for at least a couple of years, whatever. Yeah, my baby without daddy. Okay, anyway, um, let's see here. Yeah, but it was fine. I, 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 I really thought I was going to have to go to the hospital, though, when I got those bites this morning. Okay, um, let's see here. Uh, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, um, uh, singing with uh, grace. I've said that in the grace singing. Okay, yes. Okay, life application. We cannot fulfill the exhortations of this verse unless they fill themselves with the word of God. One cannot unless they, that person fills himself with the word of God. You cannot do it. It is impossible. Okay? We are to read it, meditate on it, speak it, share it, and rejoice in it. Let us never tire of filling ourselves with this most marvelous treasure, which has been given to us by our glorious creator. I mean, think of it. He's given us all of this, you know, wheat comes up out of the ground and it gives us bread, okay? And durian grows on the trees and it gives us uh, joy. Uh, all, no, it's wonderful. You know, we get if you like apples, there's apples. We got all of these things that God gives us, okay? And these things are meant to, one, please us, right? We eat an apple and I say, oh, that tastes so good. I haven't had an apple like that since 1922, okay? And then um, uh, they nourish us, nourish us, okay? And then you get the, the middle part. What do you call that? Not the rind, the, uh, core. the core, thank you. And then you throw it out in the garden and it turns into compost and it makes other things grow, okay? Hey, all of this stuff is put together by God for a purpose, okay? Everything has a purpose in the apple or in the strawberry, if that is the case with things that just take care of this temporary physical body, how much more do you think God put into his word that is to speed up, feed us spiritually until the day we come before him? Think of it. He's done this and we study raspberries. How can we make them bigger? How can we make them tastier? And, you know, and they got people, scientists in labs, figuring out how to make strawberries redder or whatever. Okay, that's what people do. Why don't we do that with the word? Why don't we figure out what God has told us and how to bring out the richness of it? Okay, and that's what we should be doing. On Sunday morning, we should be doing it. We should be doing it when we're uh, reading it. Like Rebecca, man, look at what she found in there. I mean, it's just amazing, these little things. Right. That, and I've, you know, I've read a million commentaries on these things and I've never read one on the things she found. And so maybe she's the first person in 3,500 years since or, you know, Moses, uh, David, time of David, 2,800 years, that's seen that. That's when we find a chiasm, that's the first thing I think when I find a chiasm. I get so excited and I say, Lord, I go checking the chiasm registry on the internet and say, has anybody found this? And if nobody has found it, I think, you know what? This is so exciting. This is the first time in 3,500 years that this word was written that this has come out. 
And there it is. And it's so obvious once you read it and you see it and you say, we got one coming up in the book of Joshua here. It'll be uh, towards the end. I think it's Joshua 22. And it's a long one. And it spans, I think, two chapters. It's beautiful chiasm. And, you know, there it is. And it's been just sitting there all these millennia waiting for somebody to find it. You know, and that's one of the things that always assures me about the word is that they didn't even know those things existed until recently. Somebody goes and finds the first one and all of a sudden they say, I wonder if there's others. And there's thousands of them. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just what a precious word. And we just ignore it at our own peril. We ignore it. 317. Leviticus. Leviticus. Any guesses how long? No idea. One year, two weeks. Oh, well, that, we, we burned through that. We'll have to go back and redo that. We'll have to go back and redo that. Wow. Okay, 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, well, I'm going to have to read that again because I was on the wrong. I was still in John uh, 317. Um, hang on. And whatever you do in word or deed, sounds the same, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pretty close. Yeah, it's plagiaristic. Okay, they plagiarized. Okay, somebody needs to call them out on that. Oh, you know, a girl uh, sent me a letter. Um, uh, I just read it yesterday. And she said, I finished the book of Genesis. And she's so proud. She says, I'm going right on to Ruth now, because that was what we did after Genesis. And so she's watched every one of the... Gen now, that took a while. That was like four years or something. It was a long time to get through Genesis. But uh, uh, she she's... I was so proud of her. You know, I don't want to give her name without her permission, but that was so nice getting that letter. And then somebody else just emailed me, and they said they finished Leviticus. It was maybe... Maybe it was a letter, too, but it, it's been... Uh, uh, I think last week I got that. And I think they really want to know the Word of God. They want to go through these these books. And, and uh, wonderful. I don't have it. You don't have nope. it. Okay, 317 comments. Nope, that's, yeah, it was on the beach. Okay. Um, Paul now gives a greeting rather similar to 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He's a bit more specific in this exhortation here in Colossians, changing eat or drink to word or deed, and adding in that all should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every word, every deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's hard. I mean, we get distracted in life. We get angry, we, you know, and it's hard to do that. But if you can keep that attitude, hey, think of John Ashcroft and what we read about him in there, you know, uh, the father spend his time on his knees with his son instead of, you know, face-to-face uh, -face or pointing at each other. They're praying about things. and We know uh, they're not here today because Sergio's sick, but we know that anytime they do anything, the first thing they do is they stop and they pray together. You know, and they got this thing, right? If you go uh, by their door in their house, stop and pray before they walk out, okay? This is how you conduct your life. Stop and pray. We're going to go out in the car. We might not be coming home together, right? Stop and pray. Thank the Lord for each other. Thank the Lord for the chance to go out and go shopping. And and uh, so that that's how some people conduct their lives. That's the way we should conduct our lives in everything, word or deed, uh, adding in that all should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. The words, whatever you do, is really all-inclusive. Anything in our regular walk of life, and anything in our spiritual life as well is to be brought into harmony with our dedication to the Lord, okay? 
that's how it should be. And uh, that's, you know, we would hope that that's the way it is with our lives, that we're honoring him with our lives and that we're doing the things we should be in that way. But to expand on that, to expand on that, he adds in, in word or deed. When we speak and when we act, we are to direct those things properly and in a manner worthy of the name of the Lord Jesus. He is to be the focus of our eyes, the direction of our thoughts, the utterance of our lips, and the reason for our deeds. That's what should be in our lives. Um, yesterday, there's a person that works at the mall. He's been there for quite a long time and um, used to work with Emma before she had her uh, stroke. Anyway, um, uh, I he stopped for some reason at 7-Eleven before going on down to where he works. And I was blowing off the parking lot. I start at 6 and I usually go to 7.30, 8 o'clock, whatever, blowing off the parking lot. So it's, it's a long and tiring thing because that blower is heavy and it rattles. And it by the time I get home, I'm just like, I just have to lay down for 15 minutes because it's just noisy. And even with earmuffs, it's very noisy. But uh, and I don't like to stop. I don't like people to stop me and can you help me with this or, you know, because I just want to get it done. But uh, he walked into 7-Eleven and I said, Lord, if he comes back out and I am still here, then I'm going to talk to him. Okay. And he did. He came out and uh, I turned off the blower, which I hate doing because you got to take it off your back. You got to start the thing and you have 60 pounds back on your back and start again. So, but I said, Lord, if he comes out, I'm going to talk. And I did. And so I said, listen, won't give his name, but I said, I've known him for a long time. I just haven't had an opportunity because, you know, it just hasn't come up. But I, uh, I said, you know, what's your purpose here? Why are you here? Well, I don't know. And I said, well, I'd like to talk to you about that. If you got two minutes, and he says, I don't have two minutes. And he got in his car and drove away. And I said, the next thing I did, I said, Lord, eat him alive until he, let it chew on him. Let it chew on him until he decides to come and ask. I said, anytime you want to know, I'm here to talk to you. And all I want to do is tell you about what your purpose in this life is. Okay. And I don't want him to have a moment of sleep. Every time he sees me feeding the birds or whatever he's, I'm doing in the morning when he goes into work, I want him to think, I need to talk to that guy someday. I wanted to eat him up because he needs Jesus. And he knows that I'm a preacher, so he just obviously did not want to hear about Jesus. But I wanted the Lord to eat him up inside until he finally says, okay, I got five minutes, just tell me. We'll hope that he responds, okay? But that's what we're supposed to do. He is to be the focus of our eyes, the direction of our thoughts, the utterance of our lips, and the reason for our deeds. My deeds... I'm working for them all. I should be blowing off the parking lot and it will get done. But my more important deeds are to tell that guy that there is safety in the shed blood of Christ. That's what I should be doing. And so uh, despite having to take off the blower and, you know, pick back up and put it, I didn't feel bad about that at all. I did what I said I was going to do and will hope that he will someday come to me and say, okay, Charlie, I'm ready to hear. Maybe you'll have a bad night. He'll say, I just need to know something. We'll just wait and see. Anyway, and in addition to these things, we are to give thanks, Paul's words, thanks to God the Father. The theme of being thankful has literally permeated this epistle. And I said this last year at some point, I remember saying it, I think one of the most uh, sinful things that we as humans do is to be unthankful to not show appreciation. I'm not just saying to God, but in 
you know, somebody does something nice for you and you ignore it. I, what a what a wrong attitude to have, okay? How much more when it's God who has given us all things and we wake up and, you know, I get so excited. Yesterday I was watching. I was just, actually it started three days ago. It's over Texas and then two days ago it's over Louisiana. And then the day before, it's still kind of like over Louisiana. And I'm like, hurry, I love the rain. I love it. And I was so excited. It's moving. I Some people, I was emailing yesterday, and I said, uh, we got a cold front coming, and it's going to start raining, and then it's going to get cool, and I'm watching it. And you know what? 99% of the time with these things, when the weather is about the way it is now, is the cold front gets right to Tampa, and then it disappears, and we don't get rain because it, uh, can we help you, sir? Thank you. I love you. My son bringing me dinner. Um uh, so, uh, it, it gets to Tampa and it, it fades out. And so we, um, uh, don't get the rain. And so we got rain last night. It didn't rain just once. It rained twice. It rained then it stopped and it was so nice. It stayed all night on the ground. It sunk in. We don't have to water any of our plants. We don't have to, I don't have to do that at the mall. It's all taken care of for the next three days. And the first thing I did when I heard that rain is I said, thank you, Lord. It's so wonderful. Be appreciative. Everything that you have, you get a, a, somebody sent me, I won't embarrass him, but you all know him. He sent me, I'm not kidding when I say this. I'm not making this up. Hedeco can tell you it's true. He sent us a box of steaks and she cooked one yesterday and I stopped in the middle of eating it and I sent him an email with steak stuff on my fingers. I said, this is the best steak I've ever eaten in my life. I didn't want to forget and not show gratitude. So I stopped right in the middle of the best steak I've ever had. It And it was wrapped in bacon. It was it was well, marvelous. Uh, but it was so <laughs> tender. I'm not kidding. If I put the, the, the knife on top of it and just went like this, it would go right through. It was unbelievable. I, if you had a cell phone, you could have texted our picture. Yeah. yeah well, that's probably not going to happen, okay? So, um, I, I don't know. You'd ha talk to Hidako later. I don't know. All I know is it was, it was literally unbelievable. Be appreciative. Be appreciative when somebody does something nice for you. Be appreciative when uh, you got a business. I know when you sell something, you, you, you say thank you. I had a business right down there where the Thai restaurant is. They were my business partners for years. I was on that side. Now they own the whole thing. But, you know, people would come in and especially the people that would... You'd get like a rich doctor would come in and say, oh, I'd like that. And he'd buy a piece that's $10,000, right? And you think, oh, that's great sale. Best day in the world. It didn't mean that much to me. The people that came in every week and would buy, you know, a pair of chopsticks or they buy, you know, a feather duster or something. They were there every week. They were the bread and butter. And I told them how much I appreciated that. Yeah, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming in here. You could have bought this over at whatever and you, you got it from me. And be appreciative. And then more than that, be appreciative to the Lord because he's the one that organized this whole thing in the first place. Every good and kind blessing comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Okay, I know I misquoted that a little bit. Maybe it was a correct quote, but go to the book of James and he says, every good blessing, it all comes from him. So be appreciative. Thank him for it. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, where was I? Uh, eat or drink, a word or deed. I don't even know where I was. We're in 17, right? I got talking about something. Oh, yeah, the words, whatever you do, really all-inclusive, okay? And in addition to these things, oh, yeah, thanks to God the Father. 
Um, uh, the theme of being thankful is literally permeated this epistle. That's where I left off. As he closes each section of exhortations, Paul, he has added and will continue to add a note concerning this. Colossians 1.12, Colossians 2.7, Colossians 3.15, Colossians 4.2. If we have words to utter, we are to we are alive to utter them. If we have deeds to do, we have the strength to do them. Each of these things comes from God who created us and who sustains us. And because of this, thanks should never be left from our lips and our lives ever. Have a wonderful evening. Make sure you tutor well, okay there, Chief? Yeah. But Paul goes a step further than just telling us to be grateful to God the Father. We are to do it through him, meaning Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of God's attention toward his people. And he is to be the focal point of our attention as we return thanks to God. You weren't here Sunday for the sermon, so uh, shame on you. But I made a point in the sermon that I actually stopped and I repeated. I said, now pay attention to this. Okay, maybe it wasn't this week. Maybe it was two weeks ago. Anyway, it was recently. You weren't here either. Shame on you. Um, uh, it, was, um, it was that the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's Hebrews 12 too, right? Yeah, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter walks up and he says to Jesus, and Moses and Elijah, what does he say? He says, can we build tabernacles for you? And right when he said that, the cloud covered him, and a voice came out of heaven and said what? This is my beloved son, hear him. Didn't say let's have a, a party with Moses and Elijah, hear him. Okay, now, it says in the Bible that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's given under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Got that? If it says in Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And that was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then that means that the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, is doing what? He's telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus. You weren't here either. You guys. Okay. Um, I'm just bragging on them. They have their own churches they go to. Anyway, uh, but you get the point. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Even God is telling us that he is the focal point of our intention. If we can understand that, then we can understand why God has done what he has done in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Father is un... He's not available for us to see. He never will be available for us to see. How do we know that? Because he is infinite. If we could see God the Father, then we would be... God, because we would see and behold an infinite, which we cannot, okay? God is infinite. He is spirit. We will never see God the Father, but we will see God the Father as he reveals himself through God the Son. In other words, Jesus is the focal point. He is the one that ceaselessly and endlessly for all of eternity will reveal God the Father to us. And so we'll never get tired of what we are seeing because God is infinite. We'll never expend the nature of God. We'll never get to the end of it forever and ever. We'll always have something to delight us in God and we do it through Jesus Christ. That is incredible. That is an incredible thought and the Bible tells us why we should do it. Keep our eyes on Jesus. It's because he is the focal point of what God is doing. Without Jesus, we would be lost forever. But because of him, we have a sure hope of an eternal dwelling.
There, Christ will radiate out the glory of God for all eternity. That's not me making it up. It says it explicitly. Let's go there. Revelation 21 says it right there explicitly. Let's see here. I got to find it now. I got one more page to go back. We're getting there, folks. Okay. Uh, let's see here. This is my son, uh, Crystal, Northern Foundations. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man. Okay, it might be Revelation 22. Um, I'm looking for one specific thing. Uh, the city, that's 21. Foundations. Um, no, it was 21. Okay, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. He is the light revealing the glory of God to us forever and ever and ever. Jesus is the one that does that, okay? And that's why the Holy Spirit says, look to him. Keep your eyes. This is my son. Hear him. That's what the Spirit and the Father want us to do, is to focus on the son. He is the one that makes the connection back to God possible, and he's the one that will keep that connection forever. Wow. Unbelievable. Without Jesus, I read that. Okay, life application. Let us think on this verse often and then put it into action. It is so very easy to get misdirected by the world in which we live. But if we just hold fast to Christ in all we do and give thanks to God the Father through him, we will be useful, pleasing vessels for God's use. It's your choice. God can use you or he's not going to use you if you don't allow him to. Your choice. Yeah, you think of what it says uh, in um, we're earthen jars, okay? Paul calls us jars of clay is the way the NIV translates it, okay? Which is a great band, by the way. Anyway, um, have you ever heard them, jars of clay? Christian band, great music. Okay, so um, uh, he says that we have in these vessels. Well, the vessel isn't the important part. It's what's in the vessel. When you go to the store, you don't buy... This, yeah, and you don't just buy something and say, I'm going to take this home and dump out all the stuff on the inside and keep the vessel. That gets thrown away. It's what's inside of it that makes it precious. And Paul is telling us that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you if you are in Christ. That is the precious part of us. We are the vessels that carry around the Holy Spirit of God. How do we want to relay that to the people of the world? It's your choice. It's your choice what you do with it, but I would admonish you to learn the word, read the word, and let it shine out of you to other people always, okay? And yes, I fail more than anybody at that, so I'm not trying to convict anybody higher than, than you know, like I'm sitting above you in any way. Boy, just get me upset, and you'll find that out. I don't mean to be that way, but I tell you, I'm an A-type personality. Hey, okay, but... Our goal is to try always to be like Christ and to radiate out his goodness so that the people of the world know this. Okay, 318, and we got just enough time. We'll be able to whip that out. Never take this next verse out of context. Never, ever. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, I had not even heard it, but yes, you're right. Don't take that out of context. Wives, submit to your own husbands, yes, as is fitting in the Lord. We got real uh, plagiarism going yeah, on here. This is, wow. Okay, um, uh, okay. I'm sorry, we're going to have to leave the husband's responsibility out oh, until yeah, next like week. Yeah, that's okay. Um, uh, wives, here we go. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Paul now goes from general 
precepts, which is what he's been giving us, which affect the whole civil life of men to precepts which are more specific and which pertain to a man's family. He begins by addressing wives, writing a very basic thought which contains the same sentiment found throughout all of Scripture, but which is unfortunately mocked and ridiculed in today's world, even in the church itself. His words are fitting, they are proper, and what God expects. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Okay, before I go on, and just so that no wife that's out there says, well, I don't want to do that. We are under the headship of Christ. In other words, we're to submit ourselves to Christ. God has made a hierarchy. He's done it for a reason. And when it works properly, when we employ what he has given us, then everything will fit into its proper place. I have been in cultures where the man is not the head of the house. And I can tell you that it does not work. There is chaos. There is no development. We're in one every week. There one, two, there's four, four of us left. There were six of us in here that are in the projects every single week of the year. Okay, we were there on Christmas uh, Eve. We were there on New Year's Eve. We have been there in hurricanes. We've been there in cold and heat. We've been there, never missed a Saturday now in 17 years. 17, congratulations, Tom. It's January, 17 years, which means I've been doing it for 16 years. Okay, so I can tell you that what is down there does not work because it does not submit to the hierarchy that God has ordained. This is not to diminish anybody, but there is a role that is given. And when it is not followed, chaos ensues. I assure you of this. We see it every single week of our lives. Okay. It has been the fundamental uh, goal of society over the past 40 years to destroy what is called the nuclear family. And along with the destruction of the nuclear family has come, come the destruction of the society. Very, it doesn't mean that the society isn't rich and wealthy, but there is a defect in it that will not be corrected unless this issue is corrected. Okay, And it's only going to continue to devolve because of it. So um, he says, why submit yourselves to your own husbands? The word submit is in the present tense. This is your duty now. And as long as you are a wife to your husband, you are to submit to him. This is the way it is, present tense. This is what you should be doing today. And when tomorrow is today, you are to submit to your husband. Okay. God has ordained a hierarchy within the family unit. And this structure is expected to be adhered to. Disobedience to it is no different than any other type of disobedience. But modern sensibilities, and I typed this eight years ago probably, Modern sensibilities shun any such authoritative structure, and they place societal values above those of biblical values. I was with Jody and Chris in the hole about three weeks ago, and one of the ladies there, um, I didn't say it, because I knew there would be a confrontation if I did, but uh, I think it was Chris, said, well, you know, you need to submit to the husband, and yeah. she, oh, you yeah. were there too, that's right, four of us. She went ballistic. The husband doesn't know anything. I would never submit to him. Well, that's why you're living where you're living. And that's why your circumstances are the way you are. And it's not to pick on her. We are there to teach people, to get them out of the projects. We've had some success over the years. Okay. But that is why your life is not working. That's why it is dysfunctional. And that's why there's drugs all over the place. It just, because of that. 
it's just you can see it we don't need to impose our supposed values on anybody we just go to god's word and he has told us what is right um i look at these though all of this ending of this chapter this is all a recipe oh yeah and if you just take one piece of it and throw it out it's it's like the, it doesn't work it doesn't work the, the cake it's, it's no longer rises that's right, right. So it, it's like you know, that's you exactly to, right they all rely on each other and yeah wives are submitting husbands are loving and not being harsh that's right because children. if a husband isn't doing his part then the wife can't do her part properly right. this it all fits that's right okay um because of this the family unit readily breaks down and in turn so do the marriages oh so we have seven of you. you're sitting behind me i wasn't looking seven of in here that are in the projects I'm, I'm every week yeah, yeah well you were behind me i wasn't ignoring you but okay sorry about that um because of this the family unit readily breaks down and in turn so do the marriages but god's word stands and for the woman of god who is obedient to his word she will submit to her husband as he is directed as god is directed paul says that such is fitting in the lord the verb now switches to the imperfect tense, signifying from the moment when she became a believer, or from the moment that she marries a believer. His words here seem to imply that such was not the case with some women at Colossae, and he is specifically addressing the issue to correct that deficiency. But the spirit of non-submission found in Colossae is held in high esteem among the modern feminist movement. If marriage takes place at all, it is with the attitude that says, Submit, submit, I can handle it and I can take charge. This approach is spread to believers and it causes real problems within the church and within the families of the church. Paul will give exhortations next to husbands, fathers, and bondservants. Each has his place and his responsibility within the home environment. And each should be willing to follow through with adhering to the words we have been given. Before I go on, I understand we do not have bond servants in this nation. Okay, nobody is employed without being paid unless they're doing it illegally. Okay, we have though. So when we get to the part about bond servants, think of this. I'm not trying to change the word of God. I'm just trying to tell you the application is that everybody has an employer. And we want to treat our employer the way that a bondservant was to treat his master, okay? And if you don't, you get your, your job taken away from you. Well, you used to. Anyway, um, but the point is made is that a bondservant of the old days is somewhat like an employer today. So kind of think about that. I just wanted to give that now so you can think about it. But not trying to change the word there. I'm just trying to let you know that uh, employees should have a respect for the person that is directing them, even if it's only for eight hours a day. Okay, um, Paul speaks of this matter elsewhere, such as in Ephesians chapter 5 and Titus chapter 2. Okay, Peter speaks of this matter in 1 Peter 3. Life application and we are done. The word is written. We will either adhere to it and be considered obedient, or we'll shun it and be considered disobedient. No other option exists for the believer in Christ. Human pride is a sad infection in our lives, which must be quashed, lest we stand before our Lord and suffer loss because of it. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I think it's uh, verses 9 through 11, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're not going to lose your salvation if you don't do these things, if you're a believer, okay? But you will lose your joy in this life. You may lose your family. You may lose other things, but you are certainly going to lose rewards when you stand before the Lord. Okay, so please keep that in mind. 
These are things that we are to do. And if we don't do it, the only one who is going to suffer is the one that doesn't do it. Okay. Um, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as if as is fitting in the Lord. In turn, you will bring honor to him, meaning God, and stability to your home. Okay. This is what we're to do. Attempt to do it. I understand that life gets in the way. I do understand that. And there are bad husbands out there that... Uh, hardly deserve any honoring at all, but attempt to be the wife that the Lord would call you to be. Heavenly Father, it is so good to be in your presence. We're so thankful to you for this precious word. We're thankful above all for Christ our Lord, who gave himself for us so that we can give ourselves to you. Thank you for Jesus. We're so grateful. Help us always to fix our eyes and our thoughts on him, to listen to him, to hear your word, and to cherish it in our lives as we go about in this world. And someday we'll be standing before you, thanking you for the opportunity we have because of what he has done. Thank you, Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, let me back this up so we can say goodbye to the folks online.